John, perhaps when we said we would take three or four episodes to work through the temptations of Jesus, people were like, no, you can't take that long to talk about the temptations of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are four episodes uh, later, and we've arrived at the third temptation. (laughs) And we could have doubled that. I mean, we could have have rocked on. I I think both of our challenges was just shutting up, which our (laughs) listeners have probably already already realized is a monumental challenge for the pair of us especially when we're getting into Jesus in the Bible. So absolutely, just so much stuff. And I hope it's whetting the appetite of our listeners to dig a bit deeper. I I feel like after almost a year of two text podcasts, I I kind of feel like if you're still listening now, you're aware of the fact that that, uh, we get excited about this stuff and maybe go on a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a nice way of that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, going on a bit, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. And why not? If you if there's something you're going to go on a bit about, there's there could be worse things, right? So this is this is what what an amazing privilege we have. And and as we said when we started two texts, if no one is listening, we're just love we just love doing it. We 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 we're, we're not doing this to get listeners. We're doing this because we love the Bible and we love the church and we love Jesus. So. So it's all cool. Absolutely. And spare a thought for our friends and family because they can't pause us when we get excited <laughs> about this stuff. <laughs> okay, John, so this is the third temptation that Jesus mm. uh, encounters from the the Satan or the devil or the adversary. And you're going to read this for us just quickly and then we're going to jump is, This in is a monster talk. one. So this is mm. absolutely incredible. So I'll read from verse 9 of Luke 4 and it says this, The devil led him to Jerusalem. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Wow. Come on. <laughs> the, um, Come on. the verse 13, it just feels like a slight anti-climax. Yeah, <laughs> to, to it does. What we've it just sort of slides off. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Okay. It's true. <laughs> and and I, I have no problem uh, condescending the devil, but it's almost a sense of the devil's like, oh, so I'm out of time and I've got to get home from a tea or my mom will be mad. <laughs> so I'll need to come back later, um, yeah. which of course we know that he, he does in various forms throughout Luke's. But but interesting that he Luke brings this to a conclusion, and, and we'll see in, in, in future episodes why the temptations have established something of Jesus, and now he now faces a slightly different test coming ahead mm. of him. But but let's talk about actually this this temptation itself. So Jesus is is brought to the high point of the temple. And mm. and the question's back. Notice that question's back that yep. led us into yep. this. If you are the Son of God. So there's mm. uh, the, there's some evidence out there that maybe the Messiah would have some sort of miraculous moment in the in the temple. So maybe there's allusions to some of this. Yeah. But yeah, where do, where do you want to jump into a text? There's so much to talk about here. Oh, millions of things. Absolutely. If if we can pull off this in 40, 45 minutes, we are, we're doing phenomenally <laughs> well. I mean, I think a great place to start is is where it starts, and I I think the fact that the 
the devil takes Jesus to the highest point in the temple. So, so for our, our listeners, it would be important to maybe do a little bit of research on Herod's temple. And when you do that, you will discover that in first century Jerusalem, Herod's temple was massive. It was 35 acres in size. It, I mean, that is colossal. Even if you say that quickly, that's amazing. Took yes. approximately somewhere between 35 and 40 years to build. This is a monster, a monster, monster building. And if you if you ever see, if you ever go to Jerusalem, go to the Jerusalem Museum and you will see a first century mock-up to, sort of of, of the, the first century Jerusalem world. And it is a stunning understanding of the proportions. Mm-hmm. And what you notice immediately is that the temple is in the highest part of the In terms of first century Jerusalem, the temple takes up close to a third of the floor space of the ancient city. So it's, it's a massive place. It's sitting on, on the highest point. And then from ground floor to the holiest of holies, you rise 29 feet. And then the highest part of the temple is the Holy of Holies. So Mm -hmm. if Satan has taken Jesus to the highest part of the temple, we are standing on top of the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. Now, what's really significant here, of course, is, is that the Holy of Holies represents the physical embodiment of the presence of the Lord. And I think then the context of where this test takes place is absolutely amazing in in terms of once we start understanding what Satan is actually tempting Jesus to do and how Jesus responds. So mm-hmm. in, the, in, in everything we're about to say, I think, I mean, we don't, we never rehearse this stuff, but everything <laughs> I think we'll end up saying for our listeners to remember all of this is taking place on mm-hmm. top of the holiest of holies, the physical embodiment of the presence of God. And of course, who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the incarnation of the presence of that God in human form. And it is striking that this temptation, this test takes place at that point. So mm-hmm. Jesus would have literally, if in the previous temptation, he's looking over the kingdoms of the world here, he is looking over the whole of Jerusalem and seeing the magnificence of that city at the heart of God's desire. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like we've probably convinced people of this. But in the last couple of episodes, we've we've arced back to the the Genesis account, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think it's worth noting that this this whole idea of the first human failure at the temptation of the devil, now the second human, to use Paul's language, the second Adam. Just remember, we cannot eat of this fruit because we will die. And the yeah. Satan's response is, you will not certainly die. And here he's now with Jesus going, throw yourself off here yeah. because you will not certainly <laughs> die. Right? So, it's... I mean, maybe I'm clutching, but no, I still feel no. this resonances back oh. to, to the Genesis I, I, story. Totally. And, and I would say, I suppose for us, we, we sometimes, because we're sitting in these ideas, we sometimes feel like we're overplaying them. But actually, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think you, you cannot see the testing of Jesus and not revert to the Genesis account. I, I mm. think they are inextricably linked. Mm. And ultimately, although it it's it looks a bit more sophisticated, 
and the approach is a bit more pronounced and audacious. The essential ideas at the heart of the approach to the man and the woman in the garden are exactly the same as the ideas that, mm. that, that, that Satan is using to approach Jesus. So there mm. are un, unmissable parallels and our, our listeners mm. should lean into those and not mm. be afraid to chase those a little bit because they are there, absolutely. Um, and, and it is beautiful, this sense of humanity restored at some level. Mm. This, this human, and this is going to be important to us when we get to the cross, the resurrection. We're seeing totally. how this human Jesus has retold the human story, but successfully. Absolutely. Which is, um, and, 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 and I think another thing, David, it, like if we want to jump from Genesis back now to Luke, I, I think mm-hmm. what you do get in the garden, absolutely, is a very clever distortion of God's truth in the garden. Mm-hmm. Has God really said? And then there's a manipulation of that truth. And of course, here we have here we have Satan manipulating and misquoting scripture in, in the form of Psalm 91. Now, to the untrained ear or eye, it mm-hmm. sounds like a perfectly valid quote. But mm. when you then compare the actual quote in Psalm 91. And we've been encouraging our our listeners always go back to the original quote. Mm -hmm. When you compare the original quote to how Satan manipulates the quote, Mm -hmm. there is some, I mean, we don't want to give the the devil any credit, but there is some very clever manipulation of the text, which unless wit, you Mm -hmm. won't spot it. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's, very, very powerful indeed. So, so if if we lean back to Psalm ninety one, mm-hmm. Psalm ninety one, it, it it begins with the idea of of dwelling in the presence of the shadow of the Lord. So, so right at the beginning, any protection that's about to be offered in this is because you remain firmly rooted under mm-hmm. the shadow of Yahweh. All right. Yeah. So that that's that's really got to be understood as we lean into that. And in the immediate context of the statement that Satan makes, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you and no disaster will come near your tent. Mm. And then it's that when he goes on to say he will command his angels concerning you. Mm. So mm-hmm. verses sort of nine and 10. So when you look at the actual quote, Actually, before you bungee jump off the temple without a bungee rope, the condition (laughs) for angelic protection is making the most high your dwelling. The condition to experience supernatural protection and provision is that you do not step outside the boundaries that Yahweh has set for you. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what the enemy is attempting to. To make Jesus do. He's attempting mm-hmm. to cause Jesus, hey, if you are the son of God, then you can do this. You mm-hmm. can ignore the rules, right? Mm-hmm. If you're the son of God, you don't need to stay under the shadow of Yahweh. If you're the son of God, mm-hmm. you don't need to make the most high your dwelling. You can just jump. Everything will be fine. But that is in violation of the very essence of Psalm 91, where mm-hmm. in order to receive this divine protection, you must Stay under the wings, stay under the shadow, stay under the covering of the Most High and make him Mm. your dwelling and your dwelling alone. So it's a brilliant misquote. Echoes of Genesis, has God really said? And then he manipulates the words. Now he has the audacity to quote the word to the word. Mm. 
<laughs> and, and, and misquote it at that and manipulate the quote so as to try and mislead Jesus yeah. into doing what he shouldn't do. Is, does that make sense, do you think? Uh, are you going to leave it there or should we push it further? <laughs> no, you go, go ahead. I've talked enough. I, I'm sort of pausing to let your, I, I can see your brain. Our, our, our listeners don't realize we're looking at each other and I can see your brain literally overheating, David. You are, your glasses are steaming up with excitement <laughs> of what's about to come next. So please, please speak, my friend, speak. If, if you're um, the type of person that uses the prayer book, for example, the Book of Common Prayer, so if you're in uh, North American Episcopalian tradition or in, in Anglican traditions, then you will know that Psalm 91 is one, of the, is, is one of the key psalms in the Compline Prayer, the prayer that you pray before you go to sleep at night. My daughter and I do Compline prayer most nights, and, and there's three psalms that you pick from. And, and 91, as uh, my daughter knows well, is the longest. So if you really want to stretch your bedtime out a little bit longer, you choose Psalm 91 as, as, your, as your psalm. So, so this psalm is one of those psalms that's very, very familiar to me. When Now, I'm not in Episcopalian tradition, but we've, we've got into the habit of, of reading the, the Compline prayer together as a family. I want to push the other side of what you said, because I think the psalm continues to be helpful and, yes. and pulls the rug out from the devil's feet, right? So, so, so he, you, what you've said, I, I 100% agree with everything you've said, but then you get the devil's quote, clearly showing that sometimes you can take a verse out of context and do something awkward <laughs> with it. But then you get this. So they'll lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra. You'll trample the great lion and the serpent. But then just think about this, right? Verse 14 of Psalm 91, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Right, so beautiful, interest, interesting, right? So bear in mind, this whole story has become, has begun with the Lord acknowledging Jesus as my son. So the whole yes. idea is that you were saying there's there is a there is a tent, right? Here's the way that you get the Lord's protection. You follow him, you you lean on him. But then the Lord now returns to say, I know this person, right? Mm. Like like they think about that. Why how are we protected by the Lord? Because he knows us, right? Yeah. But think about this story in Luke 4. This is my son in Beautiful. whom I am pleased. So, so the, the narrative lead up from the baptism story has said Jesus gets God's protection because, yeah. because the Lord knows him. He is pleased with him. He's within that, right? But then I just want to keep reading because Psalm 91 is beautiful. Uh, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Here comes that language of honor coming back again. The mm. devil's trying to give it to Jesus. But then think about this, verse 16. With long life, I will satisfy him. So jumping off the roof of the temple might not be the, <laughs> might not be the best bit. But then just, and then the final line of Psalm 91, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my, and if you're yeah. reading this in Hebrew, show yes. him my Yeshua, Yeshua. right? Yeah, my absolutely. salvation, right? Mm -hmm. But of course, Yeshua, the Hebrew name of Jesus, right? Mm, so yeah. there's like, there's something beautiful happening in this uh, that, that's Tremendous. echoing this story that's going on here. The, the, the devil's misquote to bring Jesus to the point, but almost the sense that Jesus is well aware of the other yeah. half of this psalm, well aware of, of how this actually works. I mean, it's just 
beautiful, isn't it? it it's magnificent. And again, it does, doesn't it show you something powerful in, mm. in the ability of the Lord to take something even used against you to, mm. to, to twist even that for good. And, yes. and here's, here's this being clearly manipulated. Almost, mm. It's almost like two rabbis having an argument over the text, mm. really. And it's being manipulated. And, and Jesus, Jesus understands how that is being manipulated and, and refuses to engage with the psalm itself. Because ironically, a proper understanding of the psalm is saying exactly the opposite to what Satan is is positioning. And mm. there's I think there's something of an authorial silence here from Jesus. I think Jesus does not respond to the misquote of Psalm 91 because mm. actually the psalm itself properly understood proves mm. his point and not the enemy's point. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's almost well I I'm not even I'm not even going to argue that because the psalm itself yeah. is it backs this idea up in in terms of who I am and where I am, but of course, what is what is then fascinating? And from an understanding of the Hebrew Bible, there's a there's again a fascinating response here that Jesus responds to a quote from the writings which Psalms would sit in. So in the Hebrew Bible, you have Torah, prophets, writings. You've mm-hmm. got instruction. Prophets. There are the three big sections of the Hebrew Bible, which I think are, it's a really helpful way to understand the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. I think it's a re- it's really transformed my reading of the Old Testament yes. to think of it in three major sections: Torah, instruction, prophets, and writings. And the Psalm sits in the writings. Now, the heavy bit of the Tanakh, the heavy bit of the Hebrew Bible, is Torah. That's the mm-hmm. engine room, and in fact, the prophets are the conscience of the Torah. They really speak Torah. If you don't get Torah, you don't understand the prophets. They just sound mm. like raving madmen. Lunatics. <laughs> but but they do. Yeah, yeah. But once you get Torah, you absolutely they are the conscience of Torah. They're speaking to mm. the kings about their bad behavior and society. And the writings are the sort of almost poetic interpretation of elements of Torah, which of course Psalms mm. are there. Mm. So Jesus, but if you wanted to wait the three, it's all inspired by God. So please, listeners, don't hear what I'm not saying. But if you wanted to wait the Hebrew Bible, the heavy bit of the Hebrew Bible is definitely Torah. That's where the Mm. weight is, everything else. So the, the devil audaciously quotes writings and Jesus doesn't even respond to the quote. Mm. Because he knows what the quote actually means, first of all, but secondly, he responds with Moses. He responds with Torah, mm. and Torah trumps writings every time, sort of thing. It's that sense he brings him back to the engine room again. This is now the third Torah quote in this encounter, the third on the record from Deuteronomy eight, Deuteronomy six, and we're back again to Deuteronomy mm. six. And again, I just love our listeners to follow the breadcrumbs here because there's something I think we're about to see, which then links us back to the place of this test, which is mm. absolutely quite amazing when we go back to, to Deuteronomy chapter six. Is, is that a mm-hmm. fair reflection, David, in terms of yes. Torah and writings? Is that, yes. I, I don't want to yes. say, I don't want our, our listeners to hear something I'm not saying, the whole Bible is inspired by God. I accept that totally and completely, but there's a sort of a weight to different sections that have to be read in different ways. It's interesting because when I read this passage, 
not just the verse that we're reading today, but the whole the whole temptation narrative. I'm always cautious of making grand statements, although I make a lot of grand statements, but there's, there's nuance to this, what I'm about to say. But there is a way to read this, and I think we've alluded to this in our conversations. This is, and I say this with, like, don't hear what I'm not saying in this, but there's, this is two rabbis mm-hmm. arguing over the interpretation of Scripture. Now, that, that please, don't, like, yeah. I, I realize we've got the Satan and, and Jesus in here, so don't read anything into what I'm not saying here. But Luke is presenting this temptation to his reader yeah. as this is an argument over Scripture. This is an argument over what is acceptable. You walk down to your local synagogue, you see arguments like this happening all the time. Well, can you interpret scripture like this? Well, no, I think you can. I don't think you can because of this verse over here. Well, what should we do with this? Well, no, no, wait a minute. That's not how it works. Mm. I think that that's part of the way this is appearing. It's a it's a challenge in response, debate over scripture, the like of which yeah. people would see in a lot of times. And and so if you if that's the framework of what's happening, your way of reading that right now is quite significant because that's exactly how scripture was interpreted in the ancient world. Is mm-hmm. that well I'm reading this text here and it seems to allow me to do this, yes, yes, but you're forgetting about this text over here mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy, for example. And mm-hmm. the text in Deuteronomy we're going to use, and this happens in the modern world, John, yeah, all the yeah, time, in yeah. modern biblical interpretation. Let me use a controversial example, but but one that you know that you and I think is very important. What does the Bible say about about women in the church? Right? Mm-hmm. And so many people start with one line in Corinthians or one line in the letters to Timothy, and say, "Oh, I, Paul seems to be against women in the church," and then as a result, they miss the role of women throughout the whole New Testament and the New Testament's liberation of patriarchy and liberation yeah. of, of oppression. Whereas a better way to do is, no, no, start with something like Galatians 3. Start with how Jesus authorizes women to, to proclaim the resurrection before anybody else. And then when you've got that in mind, come to the slightly more yeah. awkward texts. Yeah. Again, Jesus is coming here going, okay, well, listen, your text, Satan, is completely out of context. But even if we just go with that for a second, let's just forget that it's out of context. It's it's two lines from Scripture, so we're going to yeah. take it seriously. Here's the problem. Here's another line from Scripture that says that the way you're using that text, even out of context, still doesn't work. Uh, so, like, it, it's actually it's actually quite a fascinating model on biblical interpretation that Jesus is presenting to the Satan. I mean, would you, does oh, that support what yeah. you're saying? Oh, I, I think so. Absolutely. And and I think it's, it's again, the magnificence of Jesus understanding what is really being asked of him mm-hmm. and then finding a way to both uh, challenge the interpretation of that idea, but also mm-hmm. establish a greater idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so the, there is a sense in which Psalm ninety one does talk about this amazing protection of the Lord and angels catching us, and and mm-hmm. and we we do lean into that. We we want to believe yes. that, but actually, the the greater idea Jesus is saying is, well, you mustn't put the Lord to the test. And you go, well, okay then. Well, what does that mean? So, <laughs> so in what way is the Lord being put to the test? I, I, that's the. So when I'm reading, mm-hmm. I'm going. Okay, Jesus is clearly responding to something here that doesn't seem obvious mm. in in the original psalm quote. 
So, so what's the te- what's what's going on here? If Jesus is being mm. is thinking about jumping off, why would that be a test to the Lord? And of course, that enables us to then look at not just what he quotes, but how he quotes. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly mm-hmm. your point there. Yes. How he yes. quotes the scripture is really, really important. And again, he's he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. So mm-hmm. he, he quoted Deuteronomy 6 in the second temptation in the Luke version. And uh, he quotes it again. And of course, what's really interesting in the Deuteronomy uh, 6, 16 quote, if it, let, let, let me just read it for you. So again, in our previous episode, we lent into verse 13, fear the Lord or worship the Lord and serve him only. And then we we follow on from that and it says these words. So I'll just read from verse 14, David, and help our mm-hmm. listeners. It says, Deuteronomy 6, 14, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, this here's here here we're starting to put, put piece together the value of tracing the original quote. So mm. if you just take the Lucan quote here, in fact, in the first temptation, it's the same. In the first temptation, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. And he doesn't mm. fill in the second part of the quote. We've we've learned to go back and fill that in. But by every mouth, that, uh, every word mm. that proceeds from the mouth of God. Same happens here. It is a partial quote of the text. So when mm. you go back to the Deuteronomy text, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Well, what? happened at Massa. So we pick up the breadcrumb. The event of Massa is Exodus chapter 17. And in Exodus chapter 17, you've got this extraordinary moment where the people are thirsty and they cry mm-hmm. out for water and water comes out of the rock. But but here's here's the drop line, okay? So, so verse 7 of Exodus 17. All right, so the waters come out of the rock, everyone's everyone's good, and it says this. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? <laughs> now, when I saw that, that was the light bulb moment. So Remember where this is taking place. This test is taking place on the Mm -hmm. roof of the holiest of holies, which is the Mm -hmm. physical symbol of the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Satan now has asked Jesus to jump off in the expectation that the Father, that the angels will catch him. Jesus responds by quoting Torah saying, don't put the Lord your God to the test. The full quote is Massa. What happened at Massa? Mm-hmm. They cried out, not just for water. The issue wasn't they were thirsty. God wouldn't judge people because they're thirsty. <laughs> but in their thirst, they said, the Lord has left us. That's the test, yeah. right? So in many ways, Jesus' refusal to jump off the temple is not doubting the father's ability to catch him, but he is affirming the presence of the father Mm. with him. Yeah. Does that mean, if if you're connecting Massa 
to the test, to the mm-hmm. temple, you're going, whoa, hold on a minute. The, this is mm-hmm. this is the Satan is trying to get Jesus to move away from test this idea that the Lord is mm-hmm. with him. Now, you, you've built that argument brilliantly in that mm-hmm. the Father has already affirmed Jesus. You're my son. I love you. Yes. With you, I'm well pleased. So we've got that. He's been mm-hmm. led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He, we've got that. But here's yeah. the Satan now saying, you sure? Is he really yeah, with yeah. you? Uh, if, yes. Because if you jump, this would be a way of proving that he's really with you. Yes. And Jesus is actually saying, I won't put him to the test because he is with me. Yeah, the, 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 there is no space to test. I mean, you think about it, it's Jesus, it's Emmanuel, it's God with us. Mm. It's, you know, it's the, the, the one the the one test you don't want to have to engage in it's unnecessary to engage in is has God abandoned us yeah, well, I mean what a great what a great word for even this period of history John I mean Come that's on. worth the price of the podcast alone absolutely <laughs> you know the, just that 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 sense that that you don't you actually there's this level that this this test from the devil is actually unnecessary because I do not need to know that. Right? Yes, because I, 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 I do know that, and therefore I yes. do not need to. I don't. I don't need a tested symbol on that. We know that God is with us and cannot abandon us. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the the line later in Timothy in the New Testament where the, the Lord cannot be unfaithful. Mm. It's it's like it's just not in the makeup of the God yeah. that we that we find, and of course revealed to us in the Jesus who stood here at the, the roof of the temple. And what a Absolutely. great what a great connection. If that's not more evidence as to why you need to follow the rabbit holes of these texts sometimes oh. to go, well, what is that? Oh, let me go read the text that that's from. Oh, wait a minute, that alludes to another text. Let me go read that story. And you find yourself down there going, wow, there's some weight in what Jesus has responded to the Satan. And, and, and again, again, we, we, we don't want to give too much credit to the enemy, but you do realize this is a bit more sophisticated than it looks. This is, this yeah, yeah. is not just, hey, let's have a miracle. This is probing at the mm. side. Is the presence of God enough for you? Are you truly confident that he is with you? And of course, all of us have had those moments where because we're not sure the Lord's with us, what, what do we do? We reach for a sign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lord, show me you're with me. Lord, yeah. give Way me a sign. <laughs> Lord, Yeah, absolutely. Lord, I'm going to open up my Bible and stick my finger in it and you're going to speak to me. Or Lord, yeah. let somebody call me. Now, listen, I, I, they're all just stuff we've all done and, and mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to, again, not hear what we're saying. We're not criticizing anybody. But the, mm-hmm. the point is this, if we lean back into the test, the point is this, that mm-hmm. once you start to question his presence, you start to look for proof. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. start you start to then lean into, well, if I jump and he catches me, mm. well, that's a sign he's with me, right? But actually, what Jesus is coming back to, I don't need to see anything. I don't mm-hmm. need to feel anything. He is with me. He has spoken to me. He leads me. And I'm going to stand resolutely. And ironically, he's making that declaration in the place that symbolizes the very presence of God Mm. on earth, the holiest of holies, which of course, Mm. beautifully the gospel writers say, he ultimately is the total fulfillment and superseding of that very idea in himself. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch of amazing ideas colliding on the top of that building. 
right yeah. there. And, and, and it's an amazing response from Jesus and one that speaks relevantly, I think, to us in the 21st century. Uh, there's an intertestamental Jewish text, some people would refer to it as apocryphal, uh, text called the Wisdom of Solomon. Not not in church history has it been, in the early church, they, they considered it an interesting text, but it wasn't considered an inspired text by the early church fathers. Uh, neither was it by... Um, by Jewish people, but it's a text that would have been well known at the time of Jesus. It would have been in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So we, we see evidence in all of the New Testament writings that they're aware of the apocryphal texts. But there's this little interesting line in in chapter two of this text called The Wisdom of Solomon. The, the writer is reflecting on the behavior of the ungodly and partic- particularly reflecting on the fact that the, what the ungodly do is they persecute the righteous. The righteous. Mm. It's just, it's just, in, but he gets to the point that one of the things the righteous, and it's really interesting this is, one of the things the ungodly do to the righteous is they test them and they test them in three ways. And it says this, mm. it says, let us see if his words are true. This is the ungodly speaking of the righteous man. Let us see if his words are true. Let us test what will happen at the end of his life. For if the righteous man is God's child, God will help him and deliver him from the hand of his adversities. So let us test him with insult and torture so that we may find out how gentle he is and make trial of his forbearance. Right. Wow. So it's wow. interesting that the three tests are, mm. is he speaking the truth? What will he yep. do when he faces death? And is he God's child? Right. And so, wow. so, the, so, so there's this idea around there. Like, so just to help people, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, is commonly known by the time of Jesus. It's the version that, every, that the, the, the quote-unquote guy on the street is using. So yes. they are aware of this text. So it just is interesting that, that, that there's this sort of like, what does the ungodly do to the righteous? That are you speaking the truth? How will you, what will you do if you face death? And and are you God's child like you claim to wow. be? So I don't know. It just, it just is one of those little kind of, ooh, okay, that's, that's interesting. Brilliant. <laughs> that, I mean, I, I've never, ever heard or seen that before. So I have mm. learned something today. And of course, why not in the context of this all of this, all of the arguments and ideas that are flying around in the time of Jesus, mm. isn't it? Isn't it amazing that there is a parallel in these mm. temptations to those ideas? Yes. And and is that something that is another beautiful, coloured, yes. textured nuance underneath what looks like Absolutely. a fairly you know straightforward story? Jesus wilderness, Jesus son of God, Jesus tempted. Yes. Devil tries to win, Jesus wins. At one yes. level, it's a very, very, very simple scenario. But yes. we have sort of, I hope, shown over these last few episodes, my goodness, you start drilling down into this thing, and it yeah. is simply colossal. It's awesome. It truly does inspire us and, and thrill us in so many ways. And my thinking on it, John, is that if you were to, you're reading this as a first century reader. You've been schooled in Septuagint. You've raised reading the Greek Old Testament. So the wisdom of Solomon. It's talked about in the street. It's people are aware of it. And then somebody tells you this story about a conversation even between two people in which one of the people tests whether the person's words are true 
threatens them with the end of their life, asks if they're God's child, even without the character names, if you've been raised in this sort of wisdom tradition, you'll go, oh, wait a minute, I know who the bad guy in this story is. Because what you've just described to me is what I've been told since I was a little kid is what ungodly people do to righteous. So so there's this, it's just this little nuance on the story that you can tell who the bad guy and the good guy is if you're a first century reader. I think that's quite, that's quite, quite fascinating really isn't it is it? totally as i say i, I i've never seen that uh, never mm. come across that before that is mm. really really insightful and again another example of of how the the biblical text will not ignore or mm. even affirm and confirm some even wider ideas out there that somehow yeah. all start to thread in and show actually even in a wider wisdom conversation this yes. seems to affirm this particular idea and this particular mm. belief system and and I do love that and again it shows us that that in this story there is there is much more than meets the eye Mm. In the context mm. of both Jesus as God in flesh, what the devil is trying to achieve, and what we learn from this amazing mm. encounter in the yeah. wilderness. And remembering, of course, in all of it, Jesus is fasting. Yeah. And all of this is happening, and Jesus hasn't touched bread for 40 mm. days, only mm. had had water, probably. And he's probably going to take another six weeks to physically recover from the fasting alone that he's just endured. So when you realize the physical condition and vulnerability of Mm. Jesus, the fact that he is about to begin a ministry that will change the world, but will leave him often isolated and misunderstood. Mm. It It is a remarkable episode and a remarkable encounter. And one that I think as followers of Jesus should cause us to just in awe and wonder worship him even more. Mm. Not only as our saviour, but also in many respects as our leader and example in how we uh, walk before him and with. I I think that that side of the story is, is, I mean, I hope we've had a chance over the the kind of few episodes before we now jump into Jesus going into a different type of challenge in the synagogue Mm. at at home. But I also, a couple of things just I, I want to squeeze in, John. One which we've referred to on a few times throughout this episode, but I don't miss the significance of it. There is a question afoot in this temptation and perhaps all of the temptations about how to read scripture. And mm. and there's almost a set a lesson of be very careful to read scripture in a decontextualized way. That is important, actually. I think that's a point that Luke is trying to make. In the very next story, let's loop back this when we get to the synagogue, the same question is asked. Jesus is like, well, how do you read this text, right? If if you really want to do your homework, go back to go back to twotext.com and look for the, the the season two episode called Suddenly a Woman on Luke 13. And and just you can go and listen to it in full. It's a phenomenal text. But think about what happens in that text. A woman cut, turns up, she's not well, and the question becomes, how do we read scripture as to whether we're allowed to help this woman or not? So Luke is sort of setting up a some sort of insight into Jesus' whole ministry, mm. that he's going to come and teach us how to read the Bible properly. Yeah. 
Therefore, you have to read the Bible through a Jesus lens. Mm -hmm. You have to, as a Christian, you have to come to this text and go, I could use this text to mean this particular thing, as the devil does, (laughs) or I can read it through the lens that Jesus gives me. Uh, So I think there's questions for us when we read particular texts, and we see this regularly. People read texts in ways that can be quite harmful. I think as a anyone engaging with scripture, it's worth asking the question, but does this sound like how Jesus would read this text? Mm. The mm. devil quotes the words of the Father to the Word of God, and he does yeah. it badly. So yeah. let's not think that we can't do the same thing. <laughs> let's mm. not think that it's not Absolutely. possible for us to quote the words of scripture in such a way that bring harm and damage and pain to others. So like, there's actually a principle that's quite deeply rooted in these temptation stories that I think Bible readers should take seriously. And, sure. and if you're not sure how to interpret the text, I would say do your best to interpret it in the best way you can that sounds like something Jesus would say. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And and of course, at the heart of it, David, and you're absolutely 100% right. And it's coming to the sacred text and asking the question, Lord, what do you want? Mm. Not, not, what do I want? Yeah. And, you know, if, if yeah. we come to the text with a humble heart surrender to say, I am willing to hear what this has to say to me, even yes. if it challenges the very core of my worldview or my aspirations or my desires, then we are leaning back into something that I think Jesus models here in this temptation discourse. We're leaning into a life that is actually truly free and a life that can truly become everything it was destined to become by, by God himself because we are prepared to stay within the boundary of what he means and mm-hmm. he wants, rather than seek to reinterpret his word and image into what we want and we desire. And, and I think that's the, that's the never-ending tussle of the journey yes. towards him and his face as we seek yes. to love him and serve him. Yeah. I just want to throw in this one last little comment. This is from a commentary uh, by Justo Gonzalez, and perhaps this rounds things out well for us. He says... Um, This entire passage, the one that we've just read, reminds us of the temptation of Adam in the garden. But the string of quotes from Deuteronomy with which Jesus responds reminds us of the testing of Israel in the wilderness. Thus, and you're going to love this, thus, the entire story of the Exodus and the wanderings in the wilderness becomes a typological axis showing that from ancient times, God was beginning to undo the evil that was done in the fall. That's beautiful. beautiful. (laughs) And of course, it reaches its culmination in Jesus. Jesus What we're seeing here is the beginning of the end of evil's reign. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. 